one of the things that she told me that has been the most powerful and has stuck with me is mm -hmm. if you don't ask, you have no idea if that person would have said yes or not. If you do mm -hmm. ask, the worst that happens is they say no, and you're no worse off than you were in the first place. You are now listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles, 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 and The Living Numbers Podcast. All right, here we go. This is the Living Numbers Podcast, where everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. I am your host, Tony Rambles. Thank you all for making us my wonderful co-star for this episode, a part of your day. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, the whole shebang. Now, since we're having Nancy on for the first time, we have to introduce her properly how we do it on the Living Numbers podcast. Hailing from York, Pennsylvania, she earned her English degree from Bucknell University. And in 2009, she completed her MFA in creative writing at Goddard College. Nancy is also a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, soul collage facilitator, novelist, and tutor. And that doesn't even take into account like her regular day jobs. <laughs> Although she came out the womb singing, she spent much <laughs> of her time as an educator at universities such as Princeton and Drexel and the Pennington School, where she made English great again. <laughs> A lot of time with ESL. I love it, especially being an educator myself. Her podcast, Follow Your Curiosity, inspires listeners by exploring guests' creative journeys and offering insights into the creative process. Her podcast is amazing. Go check it out. We'll talk about that. She believes play is not just for kids. She loves quotes and questions. And her motto is, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. The articulate, enthusiastic, profile-making machine. I present... The Nancy Norbeck. Say hello. Thank you very, very much. I am so glad to be here today. And that is just like the best intro to get you into the mood to have a conversation. So it's fantastic. Oh, man. And I got to pull some of these nuggets from like your profile that you post, you know, LinkedIn. And then when I listen to you on other things, I'm like, oh, that was good. Let me use that. You talked about making the profiles for people at your job. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, yes, 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 yes. I need yeah. that. Yeah. Though I should clarify one thing. I have not Go, taught please. at Princeton. I have worked at Princeton, but I have not taught at Princeton. So I don't okay. want anybody getting getting that mixed up unnecessarily. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for the correction. I always welcome the corrections, because I'm pulling this stuff from from everywhere and I do my best. But of course, we're all human. Yeah, no worries. So we're going to start here because very early on, you had the creative book. So I'm looking around and you've written a book. And here's our first number, 4.8 out of five. That's pretty good. That is the Amazon rating for your book, The Silver Child. And you wrote your first story in the fourth grade. So that's going back 
We need moons. Okay. <laughs> so in what ways were you inspired as a child to kind of take the route that you've taken? So knowing where you are now, the things that you've done as an adult, you know, with your technical writing, being an author, all of these things, how did things as a child kind of inspire you to come to this place? This is such an interesting question to me because it's essentially the same question that I ask first of any guest on my podcast. So it's always an interesting feeling to be on the receiving end. But yeah, I I started writing and I probably wrote some things before fourth grade. But the thing that I really remember, um, my brother got the chicken pox when I was in fourth grade. He was in kindergarten. And I was just kind of fascinated watching all of this, not realizing that soon I would have my own opportunity to experience <laughs> it and it would not be nearly as much fun. But I I just ended up writing this story on, you know, little half size sheets of paper that was called My Wife Has the Chicken Pox. Ooh. And I remember, you know, drawing getting out the white Crayola crayon on a green piece of construction paper and drawing the chicken <laughs> as if the chicken had anything to do with it. And, you know, my mom was really encouraging and she said, mm. who knows, maybe you're a born author. And at the same time, I was also, you know, singing in choirs. I'm pretty sure they put me in a children's choir when I was about four and, mm. you know, doing all of the other things that kids do. I could never draw my brother got all the drawing genes in the family, which is why he's an architect now. Um, nice. But, you know, I kept playing with words, you know, throughout school. And in fact, my, my 10th grade English teacher, if he were here, would tell you that I brought him new pages to the Doctor Who story that I started writing pretty shortly after I started his class just about every morning. Nice. From 10th grade through at least through 10th grade. It's not that long a story. So I probably didn't do it until my senior year, but I could have mm -hmm. pretty easily. You know, he he made the innocent mistake of asking to see this when I mentioned it one time and not realizing yep. that it was never going to stop. So <laughs> so he was a great inspiration. I mean, I wrote other things, too, but that was the thing that I really wrote for fun. And great source of encouragement. I think he enjoyed the fact that I loved to play with words. I loved the fact that he had spent a year teaching in Scotland and I was such an Anglophile and he would let Ooh. me get away with using British spellings and things like that, like you do when you're 14, 15 years old because you think it's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, then when I went off to undergrad, I still wrote, but it was a weird experience because I took a creative writing class my freshman year and I found it really frustrating because mm. the harder I worked on a story, the lower my grade was. The thing that I dashed off in 20 minutes before class, I would get a better grade on. And I huh. thought, what's what's this about? And I kind of took a break from, you know, writing fiction so often for a while after that. And I I don't know. I mean, that that Doctor Who story that I wrote was obviously fan fiction, but I didn't know what that was at that point right. because we didn't really have the Internet yet. So if online fan fiction communities had existed, then I probably would have kept writing much more. But I did yeah. keep singing. I was in a great choir when I was in college. I picked Bucknell for the choir 
um, which oh. my parents had also been in. I think my dad was super frustrated that I would not go look at any other school. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I want to sing in that choir with that conductor. That's that's it. Done. Game over. I see. Um, yeah, there was a distinct moment of terror when I got the letter because I suddenly realized that if it didn't say what I wanted it to say, I was in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it's really been, you know, this kind of parallel mm. music and, and writing and occasionally acting. You know, when I was in high school, I did some um, backstage theater work and auditioned for plays, Ooh. never got a role, but I did, you know, did the backstage stuff just to hang out with that crowd, did some community theater after after college, you know, so it's, it's always been one or the other, sometimes both. Right. And then around 2005, I, maybe it was 2004, I felt like I wanted to start writing again and I wasn't really sure how, and somebody invited me to a fan fiction challenge. And I wrote nice. this story about Josh and Donna from the West Wing with Josh wandering around Bath and Body Works, making fun of all of the names of all the things that he found there. And that's what kind of opened up that floodgate again. So that's wow. the the short version of the story. So you touched on a few uh, people. Mm -hmm. So you touched on, uh, you talked about your mom mm -hmm. being a person that encouraged you constantly. You talked about that English teacher. What are some of the things... Um, what are some of the qualities that they had that continue to to push you? And did you then turn around and use those as a teacher yourself since since you were a teacher at one point? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with my mom is not something that's necessarily related to specific creative work though mm -hmm. my mom was my mom is a flutist she was a flute teacher and she was always playing Gosh. around with different instruments my my mom apparently when she was in high school would show up for band on saturday at the football games and walk up to people with different instruments and say hey you want to try my flute because i want to try your trombone uh which you know <laughs> it's just like that's so adorable. <laughs> and, and so she's always kind of playing with new things like that. But one of the things that she told me that has been the most powerful and has stuck with me is, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it does not hurt to ask it, if, if you want, you know, somebody to come on your podcast or, you know, to try on somebody, you know, borrow somebody's dress, what, whatever it is. If you don't ask, you have no idea if that person would have said yes or not. If you mm -hmm. do ask, the worst that happens is they say no, and you're no worse off than you were in the first place. Yep. And, and that is literally like what has given me the courage to walk up to famous actors at conventions and ask them to be on my podcast. It's like, yeah. what's the worst case? They say no. Life goes on. It's all okay. What's the worst and that can happen? Yeah. And I know there are a lot of people who just don't even think that they can ask the question. And I think it's important to be respectful and, you know, open and say, hey, oh, yeah. this is my thing. I would love it if you'd come and do it. If you don't, that's, you know, I mean, you don't have to necessarily say if you don't want to, that's OK. They know that. Um, but, you know, just to have the courage to go up and ask and know hey, at least I asked. I don't have to kick myself for the rest of my life wondering because I never had the courage to ask. 
And so yeah. that is just like a principle that it pops into my head in any situation like that. It's like, what do I have to lose? If I don't have anything to lose, there's absolutely no harm in asking this question. So just go for it. Like, yep. I have nothing to lose. If they say no, who cares? Right. I go on yep. to the next person. Life goes on. I move on. Exactly. I continue to do my thing. Exactly. When I, when I listen to that, cause I, I use something similar and it's just like, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. And if you can deal with whatever consequences those are good or bad, then you go for it. If you can't, then maybe you want to rethink some things and maybe yeah. try to go about it a different way. So in a, in a, in a not so great way, right. Cause I teach high school kids. I'm like, okay, you can walk out of that door if you want to, I'm not stopping you. I'm not blocking it. It's not locked, but just know that there are consequences for those things. Now, if you want to stay, there's some great consequences for that too, which means you get to be in here, you get to learn, nobody gets in trouble. So everybody has a choice and mm-hmm. your English teacher invested in you. So what are some things that you did as a teacher to invest in, in your kids? You know, one of the first things that I realized about teaching, especially when I moved into ESL, because I taught tech classes for two years before switching to English as a second language. And, you know, I, I really, I think, I think when you first start teaching and it's all theoretical, you know, or hypothetical, whichever of those terms fits better, I think you have this assumption that you're going to go in there and you are going to, you know, impart all of this knowledge and be <laughs> this like beacon of learning and, and whatever you're change for things. your students, right? <laughs> And, and you are that, but what I didn't realize was just how much I was going to learn from my students. You know, I mm. had students from around the world, mostly Asia, but occasionally, you know, Germany or Poland or, you know, somewhere mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, constant learning from them. What, what age did you what, teach? I I taught middle and high school. Okay. So you know it'd be like, why why are all my my Taiwanese students going on about convenience stores? Why are they so worked up about Seven Eleven versus whatever? Well, it's because there's a convenience store on every corner in Taiwan, and everyone has their favorite, and it's mm-hmm. just a thing, you know. Which I wouldn't think of a convenience store as anything more than which one's closest <laughs> and what do I need? But it's. But it's more of a thing there. And and so, you know, or hearing them talk about the night market. Tell me about the night market. Yes, we need to talk about, you know, how to write complex sentences. But you need to tell me about the night market, too, you know? Yes. Um, and, and so, I mean, in deliberate ways, but also in just kind of incidental ways, all of the things that that would come up. But it was also, you know, being a, available being there beyond class. You know, yes. these kids were flying over for the year from home. They were not, you know, their families were not living down the street. And so there was an adjustment period. There was, you know, my dad called me and he yelled at me about my grades and I'm just a complete wreck. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Or even, you know, my friends here are suddenly not talking to me and I'm totally on my own and anything that could come up. And so, you know, 
I always stuck around after school and after class as much for those things as, oh, you didn't understand the complex sentences. Cool. Let's look at it again. And right. that was really a lot of how my 10th grade English teacher was with me. You know, I was so always hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. I was always hanging out before and after school. <laughs> Poor man could not get rid of me. But, you know, I mean, it's it's one of the most amazing relationships that I've ever had in my life because it was just exactly what I needed at that age in mm. multiple different ways. And so having that opportunity to be the person who you lean on because you're having a rotten day or because you got some bad news about somebody in your family or you know frequently happens with kids from certain countries where the rules are different you know my english teacher failed me on my essay and i don't understand why oh it's because you copied it from a different website instead of writing your own paper <laughs> so we need to explain to you what plagiarism is and why you don't do it here and what will happen to you if you do and i will go and have a conversation with your teacher and explain that there's a cultural mm. issue and we'll see if we can iron this out because right. you really deserve a second chance but don't blow it <laughs> you know Man, any those, any of that kind of stuff those bridges that we're able to build with these kids right because they are in a, a completely different boat of having this new experience, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is new, not just school, but all of their friends are new. They may not even have their parents over here at all. I had a kid like you where she was over here. Her parents were halfway across the world and she was a rock star. And so I would like use that on other kids. I'm like, she doesn't even have her parents here and she's killing it. And you guys are just doing nothing. Like, come on, get it together. Uh, but are, are taking those opportunities, right, to build those bridges with those kids, they, they don't forget that kind of stuff. Just like right. you have your teacher that you're still talking about, you know, mm -hmm. years later that made an impact on you. And I have one of those teachers as well, Ms. Davis, right? I ended up becoming a teacher. She was kind of right on the back end. She's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, here I am teaching. Um, but it's very important to take those opportunities, I think, to help people along the way. Mm -hmm. And so not just, not just kids, but also with adults as well, because we're all trying to find our way. And that leads me to our next number here, which is 1997. And so when I looked at your profile, I saw this Kaizen muse creativity. I was like, okay, what is that? That's <laughs> so what in 1997, says. Jill Badonsky, I don't know if that's how you say her name. That Jill looks Badonsky. about right. Mm -hmm. uh, started this way of coaching, at least based on my um, research. Of course, I could be totally wrong, <laughs> but that's what I found. So that's the number that we're going to go with. And so how did you find that? How did it start to change your thinking with creativity and then how you just interacted with people? So I ended up leaving my teaching job in 2009. Mm -hmm. It was one of those financial crisis kinds of things. Um, uh, yeah, right. And yeah. so in 2010, I took a course that had a bonus workshop on soul collage, which I had never heard of before, but looked really, really cool. So I took this workshop and I just completely fell in love with it. And 
for a brief description, sole collage is making small collages. They're usually on cards that are about five inches by eight inches. And a lot of them are just intuitive combinations of images. So you can make in, you know, intentional cards, you can make cards to honor people. So obviously you're probably going to put them on there or things that you associate with them. But a lot mm -hmm. of it is really intuitive. And then there's a process for using your intuition to read the cards. The whole theory is that images are really intuitive and speak to a different part of our brains. So you kind of just make a car, you just kind of pull whatever your mind is saying, pull from like you may have a magazine or newspaper or yep. whatever, you put it on there and then mm -hmm. you just, you kind of have what you have and then what happens next? Right. I'm then interested. there's, there's this process for reading the card. So it's kind of like, it's hard to explain this without actually demonstrating it. And I don't want to totally throw us off here, but it's sort of like you Be, let the go ahead, throw us. To you. <laughs> <laughs> it can, can take a collage while. here. <laughs> it could take a while, but the the exercise that we use at the beginning of a workshop to start getting people into the the process of thinking this way is to have them pull a random image of a face that for some reason grabs their attention, and mm -hmm. then to speak from that image. And it can be based in things that you can see in that image, or it might just be somebody's face and you might just have their features and their facial expression. But people tend to, you know, I mean, because we all read each other's facial expressions. We, you know, we know different people. We make assumptions based on, you know, what we think that stranger at Starbucks is thinking that's taking so much time that we want them to move right. out of the line, yep. you know. Yep, hurry up. And so we pull these things out of the card when you mm. when you add other images in then that kind of influences what you get and you may get something completely different tomorrow than you do today mm. it's it's just drawing on that right brain and the image processing and probably lots of other neuroscience that i don't know well enough to speculate about <laughs> but um but yeah, so I fell in love with this process and I was like, I, you know, signed up for all of the mailing lists and all of that kind of stuff. And it was maybe, I think that was in August of 2010 and it was January when there was an ad in the Soul Collage newsletter for this creativity workshop. And I was like, hey, that sounds good. I mean... And it was led by this woman named Jill Bodonsky. So I clicked through to kind of see who she was. And I landed on the Kaizen Muse webpage. I took one look at that page and was like, these are my people. I have found my people. And, you know, said to myself, oh, hey, maybe I should sign up for coach training, which was starting in maybe like two or three weeks. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to take a while and think about it. And I'm so good at this because I always, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. I'm not going to decide right now, even though I know right now I'm going to yes. sign up for this. I'm in. I'm already in. You got yeah. me hook, line, sinker. I'm in. I just need to give the rest of my system time to catch up with the idea. So that's how I found it in 2011. And I still find it one of the most fascinating things I've ever taken because there's so much in there about like mm. how your brain works and how how the creative process works in ways that we don't normally think about you know like a lot of people who do creative stuff think that their process is totally unique and different and weird and nobody runs into the same problems that they do mm -hmm. it's entirely true that what you're creating is unique and different and weird and exclusive to you 
but right. everybody hits the same blocks and there mm. are ways around all of those blocks and you're not a weirdo you're perfectly normal if you get stuck and just realizing that is really liberating it's like <laughs> like a relief you know hey there there's a solution i'm not such a complete weirdo that nobody can ever help me and i am doomed yeah. So, or sometimes it's not like weird. It's like you feel like, well, like I don't have any more creativity. Like I'm it. Like that's yeah, it. Yeah. Like where I'm did doomed. my creativity like, go? I'm terrible. I'm no good at this anymore. So okay, like obviously you can't give away the whole farm, but like give us like <laughs> a snippet. Give us just one thing, maybe something that's common, that's like a block, and then how people may get around it using this kaizen. I like saying that kaizen method. <laughs> So a lot of people get stuck because they're afraid of something mm. or they procrastinate or they're perfectionists or they're self-sabotaging and they're all, and that's just the first four off the top of my head, but you know, they're all unique. They all come from different places, but a lot of them can be addressed just by saying, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes on this project. Mm -hmm. I'm going to break this down into the tiniest little steps, steps that are so small that there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that I can do them. Like to the point of, duh, of course I can do that. Because that gets around the fear. It gets around the perfectionism. It helps to get mm. around the self-sabotage. It's certainly not the only tool, but it's one of the most effective. And it's the thing that people just when you tell people to break it into these steps that are that small, they, yeah, a lot of them find it really insulting. And it's like, it's not insulting. It's how you get past the fear response in your brain is right, to right, right. make it so, so itty bitty that, you know, it's like tiptoeing around the sleeping dog, right? Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. taking such quiet, tiny steps that the dog that's going to freak out doesn't wake up and you're clear across the yard before it figures out that anything has even happened. Right. At it's which like, point, wait, you weren't, it doesn't care. You weren't doing anything anyway. So just take right. the little five minute baby step. Yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a form of also going easy on yourself, which yes, our culture tells us is the wrong way to do things. It's funny. I was just thinking about this this morning. I have a rowing machine and I row every morning before work and I get through it by watching TV. <laughs> so this morning I was watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds and there's an episode. I mean, and there's always an episode. It could be any Star Trek. It could be almost any show where, you know, there's a big emergency. Terrible things are going to happen. Oh, yeah. And the solution is that we call engineering because we need more power. You know, we have to overpower the thing. And that is like the exact opposite of how you get around creative blocks. You can't okay. power through a creative block anywhere near as easily as you can tiptoe around it. Mm. And it can take different forms. You know, it can be like, I might literally say to somebody who's feeling totally blocked, can't even get themselves to sit down and write their name on a piece of paper. It might say, okay, here's, and, and I always ask people how this feels to them because 
I'm not them. So my suggestion might not actually be what they need. But, you know, it's like, okay, how would it feel to just sit at your desk for five minutes every day this week? Don't do anything else. Just sit there for five minutes. Because you can sit there for five minutes. There's no question, right? Okay. Yes. I mean, you may sit there looking at your watch for five minutes, wondering when your five minutes is up, but you can do it. And then, okay, so we get that far. Now you've got a comfort right. level for sitting at your desk. Next week, we pick up the pencil. Okay, just pick it up. You know, just pick up the pencil. Don't necessarily have to do anything with it. Now, the thing is, if at any point during those five minutes, you do want to do something with it, go for it. And if your five minutes turns into 15 minutes or an hour and a half, mm. awesome. But you don't have to do any more than the five no pressure. minutes. No pressure. The more pressure you put on yourself, the harder you make it to get your things done. Yeah. Which, children who are listening, is why it's worse to wait until the night before to write the essay for your history teacher. Contrary to popular belief. <laughs> yeah, you spread it out into little pieces and it goes way easier than, oh no, it's nine o'clock and I have to write a 15 page paper between now and third period tomorrow. Oh my goodness. And they always go, well, this is when I do my best work, you know, back against the wall. I'm like, ah, this is terrible. Sometimes, sometimes there's some truth to that because the pressure can ignite your brain. But Lordy, it's no fun for anybody. No, no. I guess it's the, the adrenaline. It's like, oh, man, I have to do it now. Yeah, I, yeah. I got to get it done. You know, bottom of the ninth, you know, two outs, full count. Right, right. But, you know, when I was watching that Star Trek episode this morning, I thought, just once I want to see an episode of a show like this where the answer is less power, where the answer is back off. You Let's know? float into it instead of because, powering through it. Yeah, because it's not always about I have to do all of the things right now. And it's a great way to burn yourself out if you're not careful, which is also going to get in the way of your creative process. So, yeah. So because you do all of these creative things, right? when tell us about a time like just your experience where you kind of just had to to float into it because I have an an idea of mine so I could share first or you want to go first go for it okay so much like you and this we have so many parallels especially like with our podcast so I I wanted to do a podcast and I wanted to have a partner uh, obviously, I don't have a partner here. <laughs> I do it all on my own. But uh, because I always wanted to have somebody to talk to, right? I like to bounce my ideas. I like to, the interaction is is more fun, right? Mm -hmm. I like people. I like to connect. So obviously that didn't happen the way that I wanted it to. And so eventually I was just like, okay, I just I just got to do it. You know, no matter what it looks like or sounds like, because at that point I wasn't doing video, but I'm like, all right, what's going on right now that at that point, the freeze was happening here in Texas. So that was last year, February. Oh, that had, freeze. Yes. The Ted tore up Cruz a lot freeze. of stuff. <laughs> it was terrible. And so I'm like, okay, this is the perfect time for me to use this as a launching pad. This is something everybody's going through. 
So I'm like, okay, I got like a couple of things I wanted to talk about. It was just me by myself. And I'm like, all right, it's going to be what it's going to be. And so I took the pressure off of myself of trying to create something that was like perfect, right? Something that was awesome in my head because I wasn't there yet. So I had to just ease into it. I'm like, all right, I got the freeze. I got a couple other things. Let's just, let's just talk. It's not, it is, it's not going to be perfect. And I kind of floated into that episode and floated out of it. I edited it and got it up. And uh, here we are, I guess, 50 something episodes later. So woohoo, that's, that's my, my drifting into it. Uh, that's a great story. story. It's, it's, it's a perfect example. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I have one that's actually kind of similar to that. Ooh, and I have one. So I have two that come to mind, if that's cool. Okay, with you. go with both. Go with both. All right. So when, when I really wanted to start writing my own fiction, after I played mm-hmm. around with the West Wing story, and probably a couple of other things, I was in that awkward space of, I have this compulsion to write, but I have no idea what to write. So I looked around and this was back when live journal was a much bigger thing than it is now, at least as far as I'm aware, my friends and I have all been off live journal for a while, basically. But um, there was a community called the first line. The first line was based on a magazine by the same title. And the idea of the magazine is that they put a first line on the cover of every issue. The contents of every issue are what people have done with that first line Ooh, from a previous I like issue. That idea. And you're not allowed to change it in any way unless there's a blank space that you're allowed to fill in. Mm-hmm. So I went and I found one. And I think the first line was... And I mean, the the community was not related to the magazine. It was just inspired by it. But the first line that grabbed me was, the funeral was yesterday. So I thought, okay. Okay. And I sat down and I typed that into my computer. And I will say, this is not what I would call a typical experience, even for me. But I, in like 10 minutes, I had three paragraphs. And I'm sitting there looking at them and I'm going... Where did that come from? I have no idea where that came from. That is really weird. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what's happening, but I seem to be done for now. And I wandered off. This was like, you know, a Saturday morning or something. Mm -hmm. And I came back to it a couple hours later, sat down, read what I had, three more paragraphs. Again, going, where is this coming from? You know, I really, I really don't know. And I spent the whole weekend that way. I would take a couple hours away, go do something else, come back and end up with a couple of paragraphs. And after a certain point, your brain does start saying, so what's this guy's story and where's this going? Yeah, I got something. I have something here. Yeah, I have it. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's coming from. I, you know, is it like channeling through me? I have no clue. And, you know, I finished the thing like by the following night and I posted Mm -hmm. it on my live journal. I said, I literally don't know what this is. I don't even feel like I wrote this. It it feels like somebody else dictated it and I just typed it. And Mm. I've never quite known what to do with it. I've never really felt like it's mine enough to totally claim it. I haven't even felt like I could edit it. It's just like this bizarre little story that I drifted into without having any idea how I got there. So that's the first story. And that's the really second. Cool. Yeah, it, I would love to be able to do it again. 
I, I remember reading there's a composer, I think like Vivaldi, Verdi, one of the V composers, um, who made a comment, you know, there's a famous quote that's something like, I've never written anything, I just take dictation. And that's what I thought of that weekend, because it's like, that's what mm. this feels like. I don't know. I don't know where this came from. It's like freestyling. Yeah. Yeah. It just comes through okay. you, right? Okay. So, okay. So the other one is how the podcast got started. Because I had had the idea for at least six months that I, you know, thought it would be cool to do a podcast. I wanted to use it as an excuse to travel. Problem with that is it requires money that I didn't have. So it was just kind of percolating in the back of my head for a while. And I went to a Doctor Who convention in Baltimore in 2018, mm -hmm. got into a conversation with Robert Shearman, who wrote what is still widely considered one of the best episodes of the new series, which is called Dalek. And it started because I actually kind of cornered him at a meet and greet and said, why haven't you written anything else for the new series? And I just the poor man was not expecting me at all. But we ended up talking for an hour or two after that meet and greet. And okay. I started thinking, this guy would be a really cool podcast guest for a mm -hmm. podcast I don't even have yet that I don't even know what I would call it. But hey, and this is when that question or that it's not really a question, but you know, my mom's advice. Philosophy. And I thought, what have you got to lose? You have nothing to lose here and everything to gain. So what the heck? So I said, hey, I would love to interview for this podcast that's so new that I don't even have a name for it yet. But, you know, here's what I'm thinking because I'm a creativity coach and I want to talk to creative people and hear their story. And what mm -hmm. do you think? And he said, sure. So the very first interview that I did for the podcast, I recorded on my iPad because it's what I had with me in a hotel yeah. room and you know, literally making it up as I went along, which kind of goes with, you know, if you're watching this on video, yes, I yeah. am sitting in my closet because this is my studio. It is not a fancy studio by any stretch, but it's what I have and it works. And so I'm a I big fan it. of starting where you are with what you have. And that's kind of, you know, the lesson that came out of that first interview was I don't have a studio, but I have an iPad. I can get a better mic. I can learn all of this stuff, but I've got the basics already. So why not use them? Right. I have somebody interesting. I think I'm interesting. I think I can ask some questions and we can have a good conversation, especially because y'all had just done it mm -hmm. for an hour or two, like you just said. So I was like, hmm, I think we can, I think I can figure out the rest. Uh, I got my iPad. I think I'm good to go. And I've, I heard you talk on another podcast where you say most of the time what we need, we already have within us to and we just have to put ourselves in the situation to to be able to use it much like you. Right. I started in my closet <laughs> and it was very cramped and it was very hot. <laughs> oh, it's very hot. <laughs> Believe me, it's very hot. <laughs> and so I had, to, I had to get out of there. But. I truly believe just like you do is starting with what you have and just kind of going from there. And I did the same thing. I'm like, all right, can I get a mic? Sure. I could swing that mm -hmm. 40, 40, 50 bucks on Amazon. Let's yep. get it here. Let's, let's get it going. So. Yep. And if I had waited for a studio, I'd still be waiting. Oh yeah. We both would. And in the meantime, <laughs> you know, I've been doing this for three and a half years now. So Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. How, how has it changed? Like from, I want to say like from the year mark, cause I feel like as you get to like that year mark, maybe you feel like you kind of figure some stuff out and it may even be earlier than then. It may be further after that, but how has it changed from kind of early on to where you are now? So I will tell you something that may or may not surprise you probably will surprise other people. When I started, when I had that first conversation with Rob, I had five or six questions on my list and we basically went through that list. And that's how I did the first, I don't know, six or seven interviews that I did with mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm. You know, I came up with my list. I was like, I'm doing my due diligence. I'm doing my homework. And then I interviewed a guy named Kelly Flanagan who mm -hmm. is a psychologist. He's written a couple of really good books. And w the one that I've read is called Lovable. And it blew me away because I wasn't expecting the whole third section to be about going out and embracing your creative side. So it was like, wow. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I and I did the same thing with him. I might as well ask. Worst case, he says no, right? He didn't say no. I'm sitting in this closet one December afternoon and I have my list of questions and we got through like eight questions in about mm, 10 minutes. <laughs> and oh. That was all I had. And I thought, well, this is interesting because I still <laughs> have at least another half an hour, 40 minutes to fill here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was the moment when I was like, well, you're just going to have to listen really, really well and pull questions from stuff that this guy's saying. And, yeah. and so that's what I did because no choice, right? And it was so much better and more interesting because I wasn't trying to direct the conversation. It could go wherever he wanted mm -hmm. to go and wherever my curiosity about what he said wanted to go, which is fitting because, hey, it's called Follow Your Curiosity. We and, go. and that is how I have done every interview since. And in fact, the ones that I find most difficult are the ones where I feel like I know a lot about somebody mm. beforehand because you know if if i have just i mean and i'm not saying like that i don't read up on people or anything like that but like right, if right. i've just read somebody's life story in detail then it feels like i know everything and it's much harder to pull out questions so i really mm. prefer to like maybe read an article or two to kind of get an overview, but leave the rest for them to tell me because then I can pull yeah. things out of it much more easily. And we have a much more interesting conversation. Absolutely. So there's something to be said about flying by the seat of your pants with really close listening and a deep sense of curiosity. It works way better than I ever would have imagined that it would because I thought I was in deep trouble that day. <laughs> it's just like oh this is gonna be a disaster i got this guy and then oh, out of man. questions but it was great I, I, I find like my middle ground right because uh i listen to my guests you know obviously i do my research on my guests right i can't put together those beautiful profiles without <laughs> it um but as i'm listening to them on other stuff that springs other questions into my mind, because like you said, a lot of times people have their list of questions, mm -hmm. they got their eight to 10 or whatever. And they just ask those questions. I'm like, wait, I had a follow-up question. Like you could have definitely asked about something else there. And 
I'm always trying to leave room for those follow-up questions. I'm sure uh, based on what I sent you and being how our conversation has gone, there are things where you go, okay, yep, that's what we were talking about. That's what we're prepared for. But also, oh, well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. That wasn't in the notes, but that's totally fine because you know how to do it. We, we're both podcast hosts. Right. We're professionals, right? <laughs> we do our best. Uh, but there's always like this kind of debate because I'm in uh, some Facebook groups too. And so some people are like, do you prepare questions? Do you send questions beforehand? And some people are like, no, no way, no way. I got to. It has to be off the cuff. It has to be natural. It has to be organic. And then some people are like, oh, no, I always send the questions. I want my guests to be prepared. I want them to feel prepared. And I've, I've had people tell me that I've had on, they go, I've been in interviews where it's like you have your eight to 10 questions. They just ask me those things and it's over. And you don't ever feel like it's this organic back and forth. And I, from the very beginning, never wanted my podcast to feel that way so i have a couple of inspirations for my podcast but i want to hear do you have any inspirations maybe podcasts that you look to or maybe journalists or reporters or i don't know anybody it could be your mom anybody that you kind of (laughs) kept in your your mind or your forefront whenever you were creating as you got down the line because i know when you first start you don't always know exactly what it's going to be but you kind of have people that you look to and pull things from. So do you have any people like that? I mean, I reverse engineered the format of my podcast Mm -hmm. based Mm -hmm. on Preet Bharara's podcast, which could not be more different. But I liked the way that, you know, it was like, because, you know, you listen to a podcast as a casual listener, you're not paying attention to how it's put together. And that was Mm -hmm. the one that I had listened to the most. And it's an interview show. So I was like, okay, here's how he does this. Now, Preet takes questions at the beginning because Preet is Preet and he has a huge audience and people throw questions at him probably as he's walking down the street. Not so much for me. Um, but, But yeah, I was like, okay, so he does, here's how his intro works. And then here's how he introduces his guest. And then he, you know, goes through all of this. And and he also sometimes will do like a little reflection kind of thing at the end. And I was like, mm-hmm. that could be kind of cool, but I don't think I want to commit to doing that right now because I don't know if I'll always have one. So I kept <laughs> it pretty, pretty basic. I also, and this is something that really surprised me. I was originally going to alternate interviews and actual coaching calls. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, hey, you want some free coaching? If you're willing to be on the podcast, let me know. We'll get you on and we'll look at your stuff and whatever. And I really thought that that would be super popular. If you go back and look at the beginning of my podcast, you will find that there are exactly three coaching calls. Because there weren't any more people who wanted to take (laughs) me up on it, which really kind of blew my mind. And maybe... It was too close to the beginning, right? you know, maybe not enough people had heard of the show and whatever. And so it didn't have a big enough audience to draw from. So actually, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. I should throw that out there again at some point. But yeah. I pretty quickly abandoned it because I had enough people to talk to. And, you know, I think and this is me getting a little bit woo woo here, probably. But yeah, go for it. Go for it. You know, I think that there are certain things in life that 
kind of take on a life of their own and because mm -hmm. there's something you're supposed to be doing. And that's kind of what happened to me with finding guests for my show. I've never had a moment where I was like desperately calling up a friend and saying, hi, I need a guest. Will you be on my show? Cause I'm desperate. You know, that's, that's never happened. I'm knocking on wood just in case, but it has always kind of felt like once it had liftoff, it has just gone on its own steam. You know, mm -hmm. previous guests will refer me to other people, which is great. I love that. Or, you know, people find me on my website and send me a message, you know, any, any number of things. I run into somebody at a convention or somewhere else right, and say, right, right. Hey, you, you know, I, I would love to talk to you on my podcast. Cause it sounds like you have a really interesting story. Are you game? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just kind of flown like that and i've never complained about it i'm actually really just i've told people i kind of feel like i'm holding on to the tail of a kite and i'm holding on for dear life because i don't want to let go i want to see where this thing is going <laughs> take me with you you know right it's like okay i'm here for the ride let's go so you know i mean it, i think if if things in your life are just falling into place like that you need to follow mm. them I really, I really think so. It's like, there's, there's something there. It's like an indication that that's something you're supposed to be doing. Yes. And I feel that same way about my podcast where it's like, I know 100% that I have something here, something special, and I just have to continue to work at it. And so with me, I mean, I was pulling guests from like people that I know, people from church. Uh, the two lawyers that I had were from church. Uh, my pastor was on episode 30. But me, I mean, me and him have been friends for years. That episode was so much fun. It was uh, 30 little things I'm thankful for. So oh, we wow. talked about, yeah, man. So it wasn't like I'm thankful for my family or my wife or my son, you know, my mom. It wasn't that kind of stuff. It was I'm thankful for like when I get my coffee. Right. And I make it at home and I get the coffee ratio and the cream ratio just right. It is perfect. <laughs> yes. Those yeah. things, you know exactly what I'm talking those about. Those little things. The little when you're when you're driving and you you make the yellow light. Right. So you don't have to stop <laughs> at the red. <laughs> yeah. See, we can yeah. all relate to like these little victories in life. Right. When you make it to work just on time, knowing you had no no way you were going to make it, but you got all green lights on your way to work. Yep. Right. When somebody throws some extra fries in your bag, you know what those little things. So we just had a whole podcast and me and Carlos are like, I mean, we are tight. So he was one of those guys like, hey, man, like I don't really I told him the idea. He was like, OK, cool. I got it. Like he doesn't don't I don't don't send me any extra prep. Don't. Just throwing the camera because he's a talker, like he's a pastor, like so he's used to getting up there yeah. and and rolling. So that is one of my favorite episodes. But I say that to say it was not easy for me to find guests all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but my mindset was okay. I got to get I got to get another episode out. I got to keep going. I have to be consistent. When my son was born, oh my gosh. You want to talk about just really having to push myself? The time, right? I coach sports. I got a son. I got a wife. I was just like, I got to at least get three of these things out a month. I may not, I'm not going to be able to do every week. That's crazy. But if I could get three out a month, that's consistent enough to keep me going. Mm -hmm. And then you start to find 
you know, different websites uh, like pot, like uh, matchmaker is when I was on FM and then pop match where we found each other and we start sending messages back and forth for like, Hey, like, I think this could work. Mm-hmm. And so here we are giving this amazing, amazing episode for people to really grab from. So if you're out there, you're starting a podcast. Hey, just get it out there. Yep. So. Just, just do it. And I, you know, one thing that I'm thinking as you oh. talk about that is like, you know, when I said earlier, you don't necessarily need to drive yourself super hard to get something done. There's such a huge difference between the energy of, I have to do this. It's going to kill me. I, you know, I don't have the energy. The inspiration's not coming and I have to force myself to do this versus I love putting this thing together. I don't know when I'm going to find the time to put this thing together, but it's important to me because I love it and I'm going to make it happen. And I think it's like, you know, if we can reduce the amount of forcing, pressuring energy and spend more time in the things that it's like, no, no, I love this. I will make sure that I get this done because it's a matter of personal pride for a start, but also just the sheer love of it. I think our lives will end up being so much better for it. Oh man. You know, we don't we don't think of it that way because the messages that we get are constantly push 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 push. Yeah. But there's something between you know the huge difference between that kind of pushing that feels like you're rolling Sisyphus's boulder up the hill every day and the kind that is I don't know how I'm going to get this to happen, but I know I am because I want to make yes. it happen. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yes, I cannot agree more. Because we're just in that same spot. We're like right here with our podcast. Okay. So I want to talk about some of the other different things that you do. Mm -hmm. Right. So our number here is 20% because I saw this really cool quote and I was like, huh, that looks cool. Let me share that with Nancy. We can use that. So it said 20% of your time should be spent on hobbies. That came from Dory Clark from her book, The Long Game, which I have not read, but I saw that and I was like, that's great. But let me make sure I give her credit. (laughs) Well done. So the creative process and you talked about going easy on yourself. You do all of these different things like singing. You do your TikTok duets and stuff. I thought that was really cool. I'm like, hey, maybe I I need to get on here. I can't believe you went all the way back to my very first TikTok video. I was like, yo. (laughs) Maybe I need to get on there and get the third part harmony in there. Maybe I could just. Hey, do it. Okay. Uh, Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got all of these creative things that you do, right? You got podcasting, singing. You said you acted, you write. How is the creative process different? Like for these different avenues, are they very similar or are they vastly different depending on what you're doing? Oh. That is such a good question. I think, (laughs) I mean, there, there's definitely similarity, but there's also a difference. You know, if Mm -hmm. you, a lot of the singing, most of the singing that I've done has been choral singing, which is interesting because I also love things like improv and I love improvisational singing, like, you know, Ella Fitzgerald just going off and doing her own thing. I adore. Um, So I love that energy of not knowing where you're going to end up (laughs) in case you can't tell it's kind of a theme here. Um, But 
with choral singing, you don't get that. With choral no. singing, it's very, it's almost like one plus one equals two, you know? You have to learn your part. You have to get the notes right. You have to get the rhythm right. You have to pay attention to the conductor because you're all coming together to do this thing. And if your notes are wrong, you're not watching yep. whatever, it's going to fall Better not apart. screw up what we're doing here. Right. So it's a much more regimented kind of thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and yet... Despite that, because even as I describe it that way, there's a part of me that's like, it feels like you're in a straitjacket, right? And yet it's not because there's this collective energy that comes in when you're in that moment, you know what you're doing and you can effectively let go of the handlebars because you're on autopilot. It's all good. Everybody's in tune. And that is such a magical experience. It's it's a spiritual experience on top of everything else, which creativity, engaging with your creativity is a very spiritual experience, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of people mm -hmm. also don't realize or pay much attention to. But it but it is it's feeding your spirit, even if you don't see it in any other respect. Whereas, you know, writing you're on your own. If you write like I do by the seat of your pants. You are literally making it up as you go along. You have no idea where you're going to end up. And you, you know, there are days when it flows just like that piece of choral music when it all comes together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there are days when it feels like you're rolling the boulder up the hill. <laughs> and, you know, it. you kind of have to learn how to ride that wave mm -hmm. in between the two. And, you know, the days that it feels like a boulder, maybe you don't decide that you're going to write 10 pages. Maybe you're happy with two. Maybe, you know, you say, this is enough. Maybe tomorrow it'll, it'll spark more and I'll understand what I just wrote. Right, right. Or maybe what I just wrote doesn't end up in the book, but hey, at least I wrote something because there's something to be said for having that habitual process. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, writers in particular can be really, really snooty about writing. There are a lot of writers who will say, well, writers write, writers write every day. Oh, it's that kind like, of stuff. Give me a break. How to defeat a new writer who has, you know, a newborn baby and a full-time job in one sentence. You know, if you don't get to it every day, the world doesn't end. You know, the writing fairy is not going to come down and smite you because you didn't sit down at your desk <laughs> and write 3,000 no, words you don't today. It. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you do what you can do. So when I hear mm. things like, you know, 20% of your time, I immediately think of, you know, the mom with three small kids and a full-time job. Where's that 20% coming from? That's tough. It's, you know... It sounds good in theory, and it's yes. a low enough number that people say, oh, 20%, that's not that bad. But when you put yeah. it into practice, it could be that you literally only have five minutes to doodle something on the margins of your newspaper or, you know, write down three sentences. 20% of still... your time. I yeah, think that's I about four is. and a half hours, I think. That's just offhand math. Is that per day or per week? That must be per, is that per day? I think that's per day. Yeah, that's a lot of time, man. That is a lot of time. That is a lot of time. We got to count waking hours, right? Because you, you can't account <laughs> for sleep, right? Yeah. That's not yeah. fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. 
That's not fair. Well, let's cut it in half, maybe about two and a half hours a day. That's still a lot of time for a lot of people. It's still kind of a lot to do hobbies. Which is why, you know, I, I tell people, you know, spend five minutes on it. Five minutes. And your five <laughs> minutes can be a conversation with your friend saying, hey, I wrote this thing last night. I don't know what it is. And I don't know where this character's going. And here's what happened. It, you know, because when you're talking about your creative project, you're in the creative process. Yes, yes. You know, you're still engaging all those same parts of your brain. So that time counts. The five mm -hmm. minutes that you spent doodling a crappy little poem because you had no ideas and there's merit to the idea of deliberately writing something bad, it gets you past all those perfectionistic tendencies, is still writing. It still yep. keeps you in that energy. Whereas if you wait and you only write something once every three months, you don't have the continuity of the energy. It's not even about the product. It's about the energy that comes with it mm. that keeps you in that space and keeps your momentum going, which is why five and minutes goes, is brilliant. That goes back to going easy on yourself, gliding mm -hmm. in because you never know when that inspiration will hit and you go, well, shoot. I've been sitting here, I have been sitting here for 20% of my day, my four and a half hours, right? Even though I sat down <laughs> for five minutes, ha ha, look at me now, author fairy, all you writers out there, right? Yeah. I've been able to put this thing together, right? Because it's not from a lack of want to, like when we start these things and we create them, we want to make it the best that it can be. But like you said, sometimes like there are these blocks and that kind of, stifle us for a little bit and that's okay mm -hmm. but to continue to take it easy on yourself continue to glide into those five minutes and eventually sometimes with some help from someone like yourself nancy or sometimes just inspirationally we can eventually get past those things and sometimes you can come to things like our three what's which is the last segment of the show. You like how I segued that there? I do, but let me throw one other thing out real quick Go for first. It. Do it. One of my first, my favorite pieces of writing about writing is called Writing Begins with Forgiveness. And it's all Ooh. about, you know, hey, you may not be perfect at this and all of that. Because, I mean, one of the things that's really important is not to sit down and judge yourself for it and say, I'm not meant to be a writer because I didn't manage to sit down for five minutes yesterday. You know, wow. so I'll send you the link. You can throw it in the show notes if you want. It's it's an amazing it's piece. Excellent. I give it to all of my writing students. So, hey, you guys just got some free help right there, <laughs> right? Writing from forgiveness, and we'll definitely get all that stuff up with Nancy. She's such a great resource, isn't she? Everybody, give her a round of applause as I look to <laughs> no one in the room. <laughs> This has been totally fun. You kind of bring this creativity out of me where I could just do wacky stuff and we just Excellent. It's all good. I love it. It's been great fun so far. So so let's okay. get to these three what's. Three what's, baby. All right, here we go. So our first what. In your field or outside of it, because you have a, a plethora of knowledge from various fields, what's an opinion you have that would be considered unpopular? I think a lot of what I've already said tonight would be considered unpopular by a I lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is counterintuitive and a lot of people when they first hear it are just like, okay, crazy lady, uh, you backing away slowly now. But, but yeah, you know, the idea of less power rather than more, 
and taking five minutes and breaking it into super simple steps, all of that, aside from, you know, other creativity coaches is mm -hmm. pretty unconventional and, and almost okay. heretical to some people. <laughs> Base well covered. Here we go. Second one. <laughs> if you weren't doing your creativity coaching, what field would you be in? There is a part of me, my, you know, kindergarten age self mm -hmm. came home from school every day and watched the Partridge family in the afternoons and wondered why we didn't have a band, mommy. Ooh. <laughs> you know? Right? Like they have a band. Why don't we have a band? Um, and it's something that is on my bucket list to do is to get myself a band one of these oh, days, yes. you know, it's, oh, it's yes. been kind of stymied by the pandemic, but I would love to have that experience of a different kind of musical collaboration rather than mm -hmm. the, the choral stuff. And it, you know, I mean, come on, what kindergartner who watches the Partridge family doesn't want to be a rock star, man. Like, yeah, you've said enough, like <laughs> let's get the band going. Right. Yeah. There's no time like the present. Okay. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to follow up on this band piece here. Okay, well, okay. that's good. You'll keep me honest. <laughs> well, our last <laughs> what? And this is 100% in your wheelhouse. What advice would you give to someone in high school? So if I take this segment of our interview back to my kids when school starts in a few weeks here, what would you tell them? I would tell them. And I would say this to college students too. High school and college is the, the only part of your life where you are in a place and have the freedom to experiment with anything you want to try. So if you want to act, go do it. You may not ever get a chance to be in a situation where you get mm. to perform in a theater and, you know, try different things again. It may or may not become your career, but go do it because also a theme of this conversation, you don't want to kick yourself later 25, you know, 25 years after going, man, why didn't I do that? Take all the weird classes that sound really cool that you can fit into your schedule. You know, take yeah. advantage of all those opportunities because they are that concentrated environment where, you know, am I ever going to get to, you know, take a class on medieval madrigals with an English professor again? Nope. nope. Missed that chance. <laughs> didn't do that when I was an undergrad. You know, I didn't do theater when I was in college. And some of that may have been a time issue, but if I could go back and do it again, I'd do at least one play while I was in college, you know, mm. because it's just that opportunity that's right there in front of you. And you can find lots of things in your life after that, but they're never going to be as easy again. It's definitely, I think I've talked about this so many times. No, I know I have, but once you get out of high school and then once you get out of college, it's hard to replicate those environments because now at that point, you really have to go find them. Mm -hmm. And it starts to then cost money to be a part of these different things. Whereas yeah. in high school, you join a class. Hey, you're in theater. Yep. Right? You may work front of stage. You may work backstage. Who knows what kind of part you'll have. But you're in there. 
and you have mm-hmm. an opportunity and they can't really tell you no. And your same thing in college, if you sign up for the class, right? You got to pay for classes anyway. Hey, you're in theater or whatever it is that you choose to be a part of. But once you graduate, once you're out of these, these fears of people and, and opportunities, man, it's so different. I, people talk about, I wouldn't do anything differently. Man, what? I'm telling you, <laughs> I would do stuff differently. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, you don't know how that's going to affect the future. But I just thought, I think I missed so many opportunities to figure figure out different parts of myself when I was younger. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't this person. Like, I wasn't outgoing. I wasn't the talker. Like, I was... I was a shy kid, but I really love to play football because that's what my dad did. And I love football, but I don't think I knew I had all these other interests, you know, outside of sports. So definitely kids go out there, listen to Nancy. If you don't listen to me, listen to Nancy. She's an amazing author and she's done a lot of great things. Okay. And I like (laughs) something you just said there about, you know, like, it's not just to find the things you love, but you could go and experiment with something and say, you know what? That's not for me. Don't ever want to do that again. And that is just as valuable. Absolutely. I think that is an amazing place. That's a great place to leave it, but we can't get out of here without Nancy telling everybody where they can find her. So Nancy, please website, socials, everything. All righty. So the website is fycuriosity.com short for follow your curiosity um and then twitter is also fy curiosity no twitter is fy curiosity pod and so is facebook instagram is fy curiosity and so is tiktok so if you're not sure if fy curiosity doesn't get you there throw a pod on the end of it and you'll find me there we go uh so this is the living numbers podcast i think we did a good job nancy i do too this has been a lot of fun So uh, make sure you guys like, subscribe, download. Um, You can also catch extra content episodes, stuff that we talk about before and after. If you subscribe, hey, that's new, on Apple or Spotify. So definitely go out and and make sure you subscribe and you get two episodes instead of one. Like, what more could you ask for? So signing off for Nancy, I am your host, Tony Rambles. I will see you all in the next week.